Hello. Welcome to Catalyst this morning. My name is Jason Potnick. Uh, some of you may know me or my wife Lisa or our five kids running around here. Uh, you may have seen us worshiping here at Catalyst from time to time throughout the last year during various seasons. But for those who don't know us, uh, I'm a pastor with our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, our family lives in Richardson, and we're, we minister there in our neighborhood, and we like to partner with other churches like Catalyst to serve others around Dallas and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So Pastor JR asked me to join the preaching team as a part of Epiphany this year uh, during his sabbatical, and so I'm very excited to be here today and speak with you. Now, if there's one thing I take pride in most, it's knowing the answer, because knowledge is power, right? So as a kid, I was quite the nerd. I loved learning new things, and that passion made success in elementary school very, very easy for me. I'm also a bit of a people pleaser, so getting praise for doing something like that was already, you know, even more motivation for me. Uh, so I was always the first with my hand up in class. I was always the first to finish my test. At, you know, whenever we had to sit down, I'd run up and turn that paper in first. And trust me, I made sure everybody else knew that it was me that was first. Of course, sadly, this did lead to getting picked on a little bit in school. But, you know, if someone picked on me for maybe being a little less athletic or being a teacher's pet, I just learned to fight back by insulting their intelligence. <laughs> I mean, I'd double down. I'd use that knowledge I had as a shield or maybe even a sword against them. So yeah, I was called a know-it-all or a smart aleck, maybe some other uh, more colorful names from time to time, but I didn't care because I was right. I knew all the answers and I did my homework. I studied and I worked hard and I asked the right questions. And they were just jealous because they obviously weren't as smart as me. And if I'm honest, I like knowing all those answers, even when it comes to Jesus and the church. I like having an informed opinion. Have you ever looked at choices others make and wonder, what were they thinking? How could they worship in that style or, you know, spend their money that way or trust that guy? Why don't they just get it? I mean, if they knew what I knew, they'd make right choices like I make. So today we're going to look at a comparable situation in the early church. There was a church divided over what was essentially a theological question. And one group felt like they had all the answers. And they were willing to hold that knowledge against the rest of the church. And they looked down on their ignorant Christian brothers and sisters. So as we turn to God in worship this morning, I'd invite you to think of places in your life that you've put knowledge or maybe the pursuit of truth above all else. Has being right ever hurt your relationship with someone? And what if God has a better way? A way rooted in humility and love for one another. All right. Well, we are now in uh, the week four of the season in the church calendar called Epiphany. It's the season after Christmas. And in Christmas, we celebrate that God came to the world. Uh, but in Epiphany, we spend it celebrating that God revealed himself, and not just to a select few, but to the entire world. 
So for Epiphany, the Catalyst preaching team has been going through a series called Ask Better Questions. And if you've been with us this series, you know we're looking at a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Corinth. Uh, These Christians were a part of a church that he uh, had helped plant in Corinth, and so they uh, knew him well and uh, would have considered him like a church father. Uh, But Corinth as a city, might be called the Las Vegas of the ancient Roman Empire. It was a city where really anything was possible. So the Christians in Corinth, they struggled with living in a tension. On one hand, they had this new faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But on the other hand, they had all this cultural and spiritual variety that Corinth had to offer them. And since the people of the church had lived in Corinth, many probably for their whole lives, they would have lived in that culture and probably been drawn back toward it and tempted back towards uh, their old lives. And so naturally when this happened, conflicts arose within the church. In light of a new life in Jesus Christ, different factions would naturally spring up with one opinion or another about specific issues that came up. Examples of the past couple weeks here include, aren't I free to do whatever I want? And what should I do? Should I be married or should I be single? And so the Corinthians wrote to Paul and they asked him how to live out this faith. And while we don't have the actual questions asked of Paul Handy, we do have his answers. And that's In the Bible, it's called the book of 1 Corinthians. It's this letter that Paul wrote in reply. And part of the reason we call this uh, series Ask Better Questions is that although Paul answers the questions asked, he also turns them and twists them back around because really what one of the major problems of the Corinthian church was was rooted in the questions they were asking. They, their focus was off in these questions, and so Paul lovingly and elegantly takes the time in his reply to sort of help refocus them. And so today, we're looking at a rather specific question, a theological question in a lot of ways, and on its face, maybe we don't see how it's relevant to our own lives today, 2,000 years later. But so if you'll uh, open your Bibles or Bible apps to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 8. Uh, If you'd like to use a Bible from the back, it's on page 688, and if you don't have a Bible, please keep that one as a gift. So 1 Corinthians 8, it says, Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So, what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, and there is only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us... There is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we 
live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So, because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Now, I have a bad habit when I read Scripture. I don't do it on purpose, mind you. And, but it happens when I read a letter like this or perhaps one of the stories Jesus told during his ministry. I identify with who I think is the protagonist in the story, the good guy. I find myself cheering on and empathizing with whoever is getting blessed in the story, which I think is a natural way that we read any story. But I call this a bad habit because sometimes I miss an important lesson in that story. Now, for example, I want to talk quickly about the parable of the prodigal son. Now, maybe you've heard it. In this story, Jesus tells of a man with two sons. And one, the younger, comes to dad and says, I want my inheritance early. And so dad gives him his inheritance early. Of course, he quickly just runs off, squanders it all, and uh, ends up destitute, broke, and broken. And so he returns home, uh, just looking for a place at the at the table. He'd worked for dad at this point. He recognizes he screwed up. And yet his father forgives him and welcomes him back into the family. And the father even throws this big party, welcoming the son home. And isn't this a great story for the son? Right? I mean, if our God is like that father, then it means he'll welcome us back into his arms if we've screwed up and run away from him. In fact, I think many of us in the church can relate to that story of being in rebellion against God for years and years and years and then knowing the joy of being welcomed back into God's family. But there's another character in this story. It's the other brother. Now, this brother never left. He worked by his father's side all those years that the younger brother was off, you know, doing whatever. And at the end of the parable, this other son, who never left his father's side, he's bitter that this younger son gets to come home, is welcomed back easily, and this older brother, by comparison, he just felt unappreciated. Didn't he deserve a party or praise for all those years of hard work? And so for years as I read this story, I always just felt sorry for that older brother. Like, 
He just didn't get it, you know? Like, the prodigal son was lost, and now he's found. That is in itself reason to celebrate, and he was missing out. But what I missed as the years went by in my own life was I was becoming more and more like that older brother the longer I was in the church. And yet I just kept reading the prodigal son story as if I was the prodigal son. And so wasn't it a shock the day that God opened my eyes and I realized that I was that bitter older brother? So we go back to Paul's letter. Who do you identify with most here in this situation? Perhaps you feel like those Corinthians who ate meat that had been sacrificed to idols, right? Jesus had transformed their life. In coming to know that there was one true God, it was easy to see that all these other gods, they were nothing. They were harmless. They could never hurt them. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these Christians thought this was a great opportunity for me, right? I get to go back into these temples, maybe to old friends who are still stuck worshiping these false gods, and I can use this as an opportunity to share the gospel and to teach them about the one true God. Or perhaps you can understand what the other Corinthians were so concerned about, right? I mean, these Christians, they probably actually grew up worshiping these idols in those temples. And they probably even had times in their life where they had witnessed miracles before they knew Jesus. And they had seen those, and obvious to attribute those miracles and those powerful moments in their life to the power of these false gods. And so they recognized that there's something just not right about giving yourself over to another power right? If Jesus is the one true God, we need to make sure and protect ourselves from giving ourselves back over to these powers because I've experienced them. They are real. Or perhaps you just identify with Paul here. I mean, you see what he saw. Two groups of people in the same church that he loved dearly, and he sees them fighting over something that really wasn't that important in the first place to be fighting over and dividing over. These brothers and sisters were willing to divide themselves over a theological point, really, and missed the true purposes of the gospel in their lives. It's easy to pick a side when it comes to disagreements in the church. I mean, in this case... I know which side I would have picked. And I'd have a lengthy list of really great theological reasons as to why. Have you ever picked a side? Have you ever put being right above a relationship? In our world today, and in our culture, it feels like we almost have to take a side sometimes, right? Our culture right now is in this like constant struggle over what truth even is. Now, I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed, 
and social media, like they're inundated at times with arguments over various political hot topics of the time. And they usually devolve into claims of fake news or one scientific study forced against another or alternative facts. And people on all sides of any one issue certain that they have the special knowledge that if only you had it, you'd agree with them. I, I, I know I've wasted way too many hours getting sucked into some of these in the past. And sadly, what happens is, if in the end you still don't agree, well, you're at best misguided, and at worst, you're the enemy. Our culture, it's encouraging us to separate and divide over political, cultural, or spiritual issues. And I feel like those of us in the church, we get sucked into it sometimes. And as we divide ourselves over these issues, we're tempted to not only claim we know the answer, but to also claim the moral high ground in the process. Now, in this letter, Paul points out, you might have the right answer, right? Paul does, in a way, take a side here. Theologically, he explains that there really is nothing wrong with eating any titles, right? There's a good theological reason for that. Paul takes a side. But he makes sure to take that focus and say, but nothing like this is, impo- is so important that we shouldn't be willing to dialogue over it and still love one another through it. Is this knowledge so important that we're willing to sacrifice loving relationship with one another? I think we have to ask that anytime we're in this struggle or debate. Debate in itself is not a bad thing. But at the end of the day, is this a hill that we're willing to die on? Now, maybe it is. Maybe there are some of those points that we have to stand true to. But I think that a lot of times, it isn't. And Paul reminds us to reflect on this. Back in verse 8, he says, It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. And skipping down to 13, he says, So, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. See, what Paul's calling us to here is loving relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. But that requires humility and empathy for the other side. Paul calls us to love beyond our theological and cultural differences. 
especially in the church. Jesus, on the night he was to be betrayed, one of the things he set down as he was having that last supper with his disciples, and he told them, the world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. And so, in the end, Paul tells the Corinthians, this isn't more important than my love for you. If eating meat sacrificed to idols, is that important to you right now? Then I'll never eat meat again. Because I love you more than I love meat. So, if you're ready, I invite you to the communion table today. On Jesus' last night, before he would be arrested and crucified, he shared a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he took bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, after dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of it. Communion is a sacrament. It's a time in which we come together as one body, united in Jesus Christ and love for one another, because Jesus is our great example. Concerned for each of us and for all of us, he laid down his life for us. As I said, it was that during this same meal that he looked at his disciples and said, the world is going to know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Now, you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion today. If you wish to seek God, seek unity, and seek God's better way where you are now, you are welcome to participate. And before we come to the table, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of examine. These four questions are meant to give us all an opportunity to reflect on what God is calling us to. And after we reflect on these questions, I'll pray. And then you're welcome to come forward uh, to the table. When in the last week did I pursue love rather than being right? When in the last week did I feel the need to correct another?
when in the next week will I be tempted to prioritize my way over the way of love? And how can I make unity and love my highest goals this week? pray. God of Epiphany, you have brought us all together today. We come from many backgrounds and experiences, and we confess that we are used to relying on our own understanding of the world. We confess that at times we are more concerned with taking sides and declaring truth at the expense of genuine relationship. As we gather around and share the communion table, we recognize that you provide a better way. You showed us what true humility and love look like when you went to the cross. We ask for your help in imitating your love to those around us. May this bread and juice be spiritual food for us. May it strengthen us to do the work you've called us to. We pray that we would be one, one with you and one with each other, united in offering love and grace to the world. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. <laughs> now, Catalyst. <laughs> Excellent. Now, since Epiphany is when we ask about God's calling, we're giving you a question each week to spend meditating and praying on or discussing in your C groups. And this week's question is, where do I need to pursue unity before being right? What might you need to put aside this week? And so, as you go this week, seek unity in humility. Remember that love overcomes all our differences. And know that Christ died not only for each of us, but for all of us. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peace to you.